The Interplanetary Podcast. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. The exploration of space for the benefit of all mankind. Your hosts here in London, Matthew Russell and Jamie Franklin. Matt, tell everyone where we are. We are coming live from New Scientist live at the Excel in London. It's amazing to be here. We have, obviously, myself and Matthew. We also have, you might notice George's voice from the intros of the podcast. Say Matthew's hi, son. It's George. Say hi, George. Hi. George, what have you been up to around the, uh, around the expo? Uh, well, I've met someone who's gone to the moon. Yeah, that'll do it. Yeah. That'll do it. <laughs> Which is quite so yeah, coming up later, we have a special interview. Um, so Matt, what's the first up? Eleftherios Cosmas. Now I hope apologies if we haven't got that right. But what's he saying? Well, he's saying hi, Jamie and Matt. He's an avid listener, and a few weeks back, he uh, a team of Greek engineers had delivered the first open source, and that's the hardware and the software satellite. To its launch integrator, which I believe is in at Isis Space, or Icy Space, yeah, uh, in Delft, in uh, the Netherlands. Wow! So, and this this uh, project's called Upsat, and uh, as far as I know, I think he's right. I think it is the only open, fully open source hardware and software uh, mini satellite, a uh, CubeSat as part of the QB50 nice. project and yeah looks a really really exciting project and shows what can be done with very very little resources and a lot of resolve I'd imagine absolutely that's incredible well thank you so much for your email in and of course that actually flies up on an orbital ATK launch to the International Space Station to be launched on their NanoRax launch system which uh, Tim Peake spoke about earlier on so yeah obviously I've just alluded to that uh, uh, that I was very very fortunate to have uh, to listen in an audience with Tim Peake I know I didn't get in I stupidly bought the wrong ticket but <laughs> Matt was there and George was there so what was the what was the vibe the vibe was it was a very very interesting chat and actually I learned loads of things that I hadn't actually uh, known before yeah and uh, it was really he was a brilliant speaker, really, really confident does come across and, well. and a very good, clear communicator. But there were some fantastic little uh, snippets. The one I mentioned earlier to you was the one where they had to shut all the shutters on the space station because one of the progress vehicles was leaking fuel and they didn't want to damage the windows. But the crew themselves get really upset because they don't of course. get... They don't get the what do you mean we've got to close the viewing window, <laughs> yeah. the best viewing window ever? But it's the fact that they, as they're doing their job, they don't get night and day, night and day. It's just like they're enclosed. And he said it completely yeah. changes the entire atmosphere of the space station. Yeah, of course. But also they were talking about their working hours and they showed us his sort of work calendar and how they sort of have to follow this red line that goes along there. You found it surprising that they got weekends off? Yeah, they got the whole weekend off and they only work seven till seven. To be honest... Slackers. To be honest, I work harder than blooming the astronauts on ISS. All right. You go to some special space school for six years, which sounds really fun. And you have a really fun job at the um, ISS... Um, working seven to seven, weekends off, in zero gravity, um, and you get to be in space. So it's base one. Of, well, 
minus the fact that you're two times more likely to get a heart attack, it's pretty much the best job. Yeah, that's true. That is true, Matt. And also your bones get wet and you get like... Yeah, when he, when he came down, he, his, his um, cardiovascular system had aged by 20 years. Really? But all of it gets reversed... And the, the slowest to reverse is the is the bone loss. So is he completely physically back to? Yeah, he says he's back to normal. Normal. Then. Other, than he, I think he's got, still got a bit of bone mass to put back on. But right. yeah, he, he was. It's quite funny. He's kind of when he was saying how he walked with his feet apart for the first couple of days, and then he was able to balance. And then as soon as he's able to balance on one leg, he realised he's back to. So putting bone mass back on, I assume he, you know like they do with babies, has to drink lots of milk, etc. Is that true? Or not? He didn't say that. I oh. don't know. I don't know. You could look at it. Oh, does anyone know that? So right Email in. <laughs> Email in. Kate Rubins, American astronaut on the space station at the moment, she sequenced DNA for the first time in space. Amazing. Which is, yeah, so there's a, they've take, they took up a little DNA sequencer up in the last SpaceX Dragon cargo capsule it opens up a whole new uh, way of doing science in space actually Tim Peake talks about this about proteins and protein crystals mm. he grew protein crystals in space and you can't grow protein crystals on earth yet they're a phenomenally important thing to analyse and, and uh, look at because most diseases are kind of protein based and so that it was, yeah. it's, it, it's saying how important that work is so the sort of genuine science that takes place on the International Space Station. And isn't it lovely when you hear these things, because the amount of people who still say, is it worth the money sending these people in? What was it to send Tim Peake there? Well, I, I think, 60 million? I think if you just went with a argument that it was for good for, good for science, I think you would be on a loser. It's obviously better to spend the billions of pounds that it costs to get the space station built on a bigger med- medical facility on Earth, for example, or a science lab on Earth. But it's the, all the other things that it, it does as well, like the, the fact that they get to practice EVAs, the fact that they get to practice docking spaceships, the fact that there's all these things that are now being learnt for future space exploration. It, it, I, and that's the sort of thing that no one ever puts a price tag on. And the outreach that Tim Peake has done to kids... And the, and the sort of inspiration future generation, yeah, future generation. unparalleled in, so far yeah. I'd say yeah. and talking of unbelievable things Juno has caught some amazing photographs of the North Pole of Jupiter yeah so we've got the first pictures back as promised on this podcast from, from Juno and it's first thing that it did yeah was fly over the North Pole it's never been done before so that was interesting pictures. And, and I, its aurora, which was beautiful. The yeah. red was so lovely. Yeah, so I mean, so that was, yeah, it's got various different um, scientific instruments on. So the aurora were taken not with the one, not with visual uh, uh, telescopes, yeah. but with um, where, yeah, other parts of the electromagnetic spectrum. And I think really that's what it's doing mostly, is trying to peer under the clouds. So I think a lot of people have been a bit disappointed with the photos off Juno so far because it's not really a visual kind of thing it's much more of a scientific thing I think eventually we'll start to see some amazing photos as they Absolutely. piece it together and, and artify it for the and public. they did capture the sound of the aurora oh yeah I love that uh, has, a, has a dance remix been made yet oh I hope so now, I, now Jamie I've, I'm, I'm supposed to be going on Resonance FM soon oh yeah to talk about um, to talk about uh, space noises Okay. Yeah, so uh, I'll keep you posted about that. Please do, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. 
So uh, obviously I'll be I'll be plugging the podcast. You're a wanted man. Oh yes, very much so. Now here's a really, really, really interesting one. We'll be the judge of that. Yeah. Well, yeah. EM Drive. Oh yeah. So we've mentioned we've mentioned this and we've never really gone in depth on this before on the show, but I think now is a good time to at least start ramping up the detail on EM Drive because it's a big thing. It could be a massive thing. No, it could it's be a really massive. efficient. Well, it's not the fact it's not the fact that it's efficient, it's the fact that it doesn't need to chuck something out the back. Yeah, just electricity which is quite um Abundant. Yeah, yeah. So you can use solar power to, to power something that doesn't need to carry fuel. It's, it, the thrust is minimal on this. Well, okay, so uh, an English scientist uh, sort of discovered this thrust. Doesn't know how it works. Yeah. I handed it over to uh, NASA, who have a special uh, department called Evil Works, I believe, or something like that. And uh, they, um, they've been looking at this for some time now, and they're just about to publish a paper. And it's a peer-reviewed paper, and it means that in the AIAA, the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics, yeah, and they're going to publish this paper. Now, to publish a paper for for, for an organisation like that to publish that paper, then there must be something in it. There must, be, otherwise, it would be laughable. I mean, yeah. this thing, unfortunately, it flies in the face of Newton's laws that have stood firm. For a very long time. Matt, are you talking about for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction? Exactly. Now that, as far as we know, is an unbreakable, unmutable law of physics. However, until now. Until now. Now, something is going on. It would seem that this EM drive is creating a thrust. No one knows how, but... There's already been hints that actually it possibly does have an exhaust, and uh, and that, that it's uh, and it's not and, it, and it's not going to. And my betting is, when we really get down to it, it's got an exhaust. You reckon? Bits yeah. Of metal well, no, there'll the be something. Satellite. There'll be something. There'll be something coming out the back, which means no, it still has to carry its own fuel. Well, here's to hoping. And as Richard Feynman eloquently said. For a successful technology, reality must take precedence over public relations, for nature cannot be fooled. And I love that quote because it's like, it doesn't really matter. If if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, no matter how much you want it to work. Because EM Drive would be amazing. It would be amazing. It would solve so many problems. That's true. And it, but... It, but let's wait and see. Let's wait and see. Well, Matt, ten you... weeks' time. Ten weeks' time is going to be a very exciting paper. Well, we'll have to wait and see with bated breath. But, Matt, you know you said that nature can't be fooled. Well, how come when you push a pen into a Venus flytrap's mouth, it thinks it's a fly? Because that's not nature being fooled. Yeah, it is. Flytrap. That's nature. No, it's a Venus flytrap. <laughs> to be continued. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, quite a good one. Uh, ch- uh, the Long March Five has arrived at ah. its spaceport. Now that's, uh, that's good work, China. China. Uh, that's their heavy lift vehicle. Technological breakthrough, apparently. Uh, so that's going to be very interesting. Have you heard of the High Seas program? No. So the High Seas program has just finished, and it was. Uh, it's basically a bunch of people have been living in Hawaii, pretending to be on a Mars base. Why don't I get jobs like that? I oh, know it's really, good. <laughs> it's really good. And a lot of them, a lot of them, a lot of the volunteers have said, "Oh yeah, I'd go back 
I'd go back and live there again. No doubt. So actually, it obviously hasn't been that bad. It's not that bad then, vis-a-vis. Right. What's everyone moaning about? Let's get to Mars. Yeah, let's do it. So, uh, yeah, so, uh, and, and now it's open to the public, so you can go on a kind of pretend you're on Mars. When they were pretending to be on Mars in Hawaii, yeah. did they still get to eat lovely, delicious Hawaiian food and go to the lovely, amazing well, Hawaiian still, yeah, beaches? Yeah, they still went to the beach. In downtime. <laughs> yeah, not, not quite sure they lived it real. No, I think no, I think they were stuck. They on, did. They, they? they were stuck on base. Okay, stuck on base. Allowed to go out in a little spacesuit every day. I'll let them off. Yeah. yeah. Oh no, I, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I've got to mention the fact that Star Trek was 50 because <laughs> I'm a Star Wars fan. Though, no, no, so. no. But, Star Wars but, No, yeah, it is. To be Facts, fair, George, Star Wars yeah. is. No, but I don't want to alienate the Star Trek listeners. No? Alienate. So, Good. Alien. All right, let's do Star Trek then. So Star Trek was 50 years old. 50. 50. And to celebrate, I got everyone in the office to pretend that we were under attack and go from side to side in unison like this. How did that go down? Everyone hates me. Yeah. So you've got even you've got even I've less got no friends. friends. <laughs> no, I've just got enemies now. Yeah, yeah, just, just no enemies. Friends. He had yeah. no friends before. Now he's got enemies. Oh, that's harsh. That's from your own son. But uh, Mission Control with the ISS, they celebrated by replacing the ISS icon with an icon of the uh, Starship Enterprise. Oh, nice. That is a nice thing. It's a nice little touch, isn't it? It's like Very a nice. nod to science fiction's sway over science fact. Love that. Now, have you heard of the New, new Frontiers programme, Jamie? Well, I may have heard about it a bit. <laughs> Please so, elaborate. So New Frontiers is a programme that currently has three... Spacecraft, New Horizon, one. yeah, New Horizon, which of course is very famous because it's it's the one that flew past Pluto. Yeah, took some brilliant photos. Yeah, one of the best things in the last couple of years, for sure. Frontiers Two, we've just mentioned, was Juno. Juno now flying around um, Jupiter. Not only the greatest synth of the eighties, it's also but <laughs> it's a pretty good snapper. Thirdly, this month the launch of Asaris Rex, the Origin Spectral Interpretation Resource Identification Security Regolith Explorer. It just rolls off the tongue. Well, Asaris Rex. That is going to rendezvous with an asteroid, asteroid Bennu. It's going to go there, grab a bit of rock, and then bring it back home. It's as simple as that. Well, when you say simple, this is going to be pretty blooming difficult. Why don't they grab the whole asteroid and bring it home? Because it's big. It's big. Yeah. This thing's massive. Pretty heavy. <laughs> uh, in fact, uh, Bennu, guess, guess how big it is? Uh, the same size as the building we're in now. It's the same size as a mountain. So basically the same size as the building. No, 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 a mountain. This is a building. Yeah, but like a mountain. Okay, okay, might be the same size as the XL Centre in London. <laughs> <laughs> Stood on its side. Yeah, Stood on its side, yeah, maybe. So, uh, yeah, so it's off it's going to go. And then in July 2020, the spacecraft will perform a daring manoeuvre in which its 11-foot arm will reach out and perform a five-second high-five to stir up the surface material, collecting two ounces, 60 grams, not the whole thing, <laughs> of small rocks and dust in a sample return container. And then it will turn it to in September 2023. Now, in any other scenario on Earth... A five-second high-five would be really awkward, wouldn't it? Yeah. You know, one of them really long handshakes. Particularly if you sort of, like, scuffed it in, in 
you were blowing on it and you were trying to sort of take yeah. bits off. If I sort of high-fived you and tried to take bits off your hand, it's all a bit weird. Yeah, it would be a bit strange. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I like this creepy ice. Osiris Very creepy. Rex. Yeah, it's a bit creepy, isn't it? Uh, but one thing about the SpaceX explosion, go on, was that it almost uh, took out the Osiris Rex mission. Ooh. So because of all the sort of pressure and all the pipes, around, because it's, it was on the, in the same uh, launch facility. complex, launch yeah. facility. Um, uh, yeah, there, there, there was a real danger that uh, Osiris Rex. That was would have been get... an awkward phone call, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's like not only have we ruined this one, we've also ruined this one. Yeah, and th- sorry. This one is even more expensive than this one. Yeah, yeah. yeah it would have been. Can I write awkward. you a check? You know the Osiris Rex thing. Is it also bringing a little rover? So you may as well bring leave something behind. It's a bit of a waste just getting there just to bring a few ounces of dust back. You know, a rover on a a rover on Bennu. Cool. Yeah. So Blue Origin, Blue Origin, Elon Musk's rivals in the new space race, Bezos, have uh, done some pretty amazing pictures of their new heavy lift vehicles. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, called New Glenn, named after John Glenn. Oh yes, the first American to orbit the Earth. Legend. So they're actually massive. These things. They're bigger, much bigger than uh, the Falcon. Almost as big as Saturn V. Yeah. But Falcon Heavy is more powerful because, of course, it has the two strap-on boosters. So he's marked his intent to enter the uh, heavy lift. And actually, the NASA, the, the boss of NASA, is sort of in a, in a in an interview or at a public uh, meeting, was sort of saying he wasn't really a fan. Of uh, private enterprise and their and their heavier launch vehicles. Why not? I think he thinks it's that, they're, that they're not ready for it. I mm. think he thinks that they're, you know, that they're, they're biting off more than they can chew, mm. and that really that, that, that that's re- that those sort of vehicles are best left to the pros. Let's uh, let's wait and see. Let's wait and see. Let's yeah. Wait and see. So yeah. Section. So Gaia has just released some data. Yeah. And I know you're excited about it. Very you excited. Sent me a picture. I did. And, uh, and it's. Uh, it looks very similar to all those sort of oval-shaped pictures, but it's obviously there's a lot Matt, of stuff. stop dissing it. And, uh, you know, you look at it, and I know as a scientist it's very, very exciting, but I sometimes look at pictures like that and think as a punter it's like, not that exciting. Look at it and go, what the heck is it? Yeah. But it's, it's a picture, it's, it's a map of the Milky Way, of yeah. all the stars in the Milky Way. And uh, someone on Twitter said, well, how many of these stars surveyed by God will ever be visited by humans question mark and some very clever and astute person called Jason Wright at Astro Wright said my answer all of them or none of them touche touche that's lovely and and it is it's true there's something amazing about that because it's like if you develop the technology to get to a star just one star you you are obviously the daddy-o and you may as well visit them all (laughs) of course so yeah but it gets to a point where it's impossible because, say for something that's like a hundred light years away, you'd have to get a person, a, a grown man, to live for a hundred years. You've obviously after he's you, what you what you need to do is look at the maths of the von Neumann probe. So von Neumann probe is a uh, is a self-replicating spaceship. So one travels off to the star mines stuff from around that star and self-replicates and goes off to the next star and, and sends versions of itself off. And then it's that process amazingly can travel through the entire Milky Way very, very quickly. 
mm. like in a, you know, a few hundred thousand years or a few million years say but a few million years on a kind of on, a, on an astronomical level is not very much and it can do it very very quickly so von, and uh, that is what started the the, um, the whole Fermi paradox is that Fermi had heard about von Neumann Freud and thought well where, 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 where are they yeah. You know, because really, we should be seeing them. We should be seeing von Neumann probes. And I read an amazing one where someone had built a von Neumann, uh, where someone was proposing the von Neumann Daedalus. Oh, really? Yeah. So Daedalus would fly, fly to the nearest star and self-replicate. Check that out. Yeah, which would be pretty phenomenal. I'd like that. And he'd start going into the feasibility of it. It's, yeah. it's a paper that you can download online. I, I believe it was released in... In uh, the Journal of the British Interplanetary Society in 1980. There we go. Or 1980, I think. But, yeah. Matt, please get your dates right. Yeah, well, you know, I'll try. I saw one picture of Kate Rubins wearing a very brightly coloured kind of Joseph Technicolor dream coat kind of thing. Yeah. And I wondered what that was. So I looked at the story, and uh, Kate Rubins has a degree in cancer biology. And she's going to be talking to child cancer patients, yeah. something that she's, you know, that she has a passion for. There was three spacesuits that were created for the project at cancer hospitals in Germany, Russia, Japan. They made three: hope, courage, and unity. And yeah. The one that she was wearing was courage. So she's taken this courage space suit. How lovely is that? Oh, no, she's beautiful. Good work, Kate. Yeah, Kate. Um, Kate Rubens is becoming one of my favourite ever. She's just great. Uh, astronauts. Yeah. Who is your favourite? Who's my favourite astronaut? And don't if you're not saying Tim Peake, say no, no, no. It very quietly because I believe he's still in the building. Al Warden is definitely Al Warden. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm just a guy. Yeah. Just a guy. Yeah, that was one of George's questions: was what's it like to be a, a human? <laughs> well, <laughs> we thought it was a bit too philosophical. Well, you know, we got to be a little bit philosophical about it because we tend to uh, see people. Um, in kind of a false light, if we know what they've been done doing with their life, so we kind of we kind of ascribe different uh, characteristics to people based on who they are and what they are, and 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 sometimes we sort of forget that they're all just people. I my my one of my favorite comments when I'm asked that kind of question is, I don't care who you are, you could be the poorest guy on the field who is collecting garbage. Oil. Or you could be the king of England. But you all put your pants on the same way. <laughs> so we're all just people. The only time that was an exception was when I gave a talk to a United Way. We have a, this United Way in the States, which is a big charitable giving thing. And I was giving a keynote at their, at their annual awards banquet, and I was asked that question about it. I said, no, you know, when you're in space, that's not true. You know, all men are not created equal. Because in space, you can put both legs on at the same time. You have to think about that a little bit. Yeah. But, yeah. So space makes you different in that respect. Yeah. In fact, yeah. on a similar vein, we were talking in our last podcast about alcohol in space. and the way Alcohol. That, alcohol. And so if you drink beer, the bubbles don't rise. So it's it's kind of Beautiful. stuck in, you know. And so we wondered, did you have, was there, were, there, were there any alcoholic drinks no. when you no, went we out? Not allowed? I tried, I yeah. tried, and I tried. We had, uh, we had a deal, uh, I had a deal with the U.S. Geological Survey guys who were teaching us the geology they were doing. Yeah. And we had this deal that somebody always had to take a bottle of vodka wherever we went on a field trip, right? Okay, right. So it was between myself and the U.S. Geological Service guys. Yeah. So when the flight comes along, we're saying, okay, now, how are we going to do this next geology field trip 
how are we going to get some vodka onto your, you know, onto your trip? Yeah. Well, we tried, we tried. You know what happens if you freeze dry vodka? No. Nothing left. Oh, right. Okay. It all sublimates off. Right. It's gone. Okay. Zip. Zero. Okay. So there has to be another way of yes. getting it down into some kind of powdered form. I don't know. I understand somebody's been able to solve that problem. Right. Which is probably not a very difficult problem. But it was not available on my flight. So, right. no, we didn't carry it. Ah, shame. <laughs> I thought about it, though. <laughs> yeah, <it was> there. <laughs> uh, when we were listening to Tim Peake earlier giving his uh, speech, he, was, he mentioned that when he was on his EVA, he had 10 minutes, and he thinks it's, he thinks it's the only time this has ever happened where uh, ground control, so you've got 10 minutes to kill, essentially, because they're in a good configuration. Mm -hmm. And um, they thought, well, just stay there until the, the sun goes down and start working. So, so he said he was there for 10 minutes. He started off thinking that he was the luckiest person ever. But after three or four minutes, he realized that, no, he's sort of staring into the void. Now, yeah. so you've done a... What are you going to do if you don't have anything to do? Yeah. What do you do? Yeah. So with, with your EVA, because you've done one of the most remote EVA, is that correct? No, it's the, it was the very first one done outside of Earth orbit. Right. We had never done one before. They've done they've done two more since then, but I did the first one, so that's why that's a Guinness record. Right. Um, and I had not much time, but we we worked on a very very different uh, requirements back then than we do now. Uh, I think. When I flew, we were really focused on getting the job done and then getting back inside. That was today. I think it's a little different. I think they're a little looser about doing EVAs. We're a little more used to it. We've done a few of them. Uh, we're pretty, pretty confident and pretty capable of doing them. So I think that some, there's some time that automatically comes along. But they would not let me stay out there and do and just and just look around. I mean, I had to I had to do my job. And they wouldn't let me take camera out either for some reason. And I fought and fought and fought to take camera. Yeah. Uh, but they wouldn't let me take camera. Well, of course, after our flight, I made so much, I made such a big issue of it that they, they all, they've all taken cameras on it since then. So, but they couldn't, think, they couldn't think of anything that would be valuable for me to take a picture of. And, and, and the fact was that there were things out there like the reaction control system, when you fired those, that rocket exhaust actually bubbled and charred the surface, the mylar surface of the spacecraft, of the service module. That was a very, in, very, very, uh, very important thing that they needed to understand what, what was happening mm. there. And the only way to really prove it was in a photograph. What happened when I got back, I couldn't take a camera. They wouldn't let me. I, I, I thought that was the dumbest thing in the world. But when I came back, then I got a guy to paint the picture of my EVA, and a guy was a fellow by the name of Pierre Mion, who was a very, very well-known artist in the States, and he, he, he did this fantastic painting of my EVA where I made particular attention to the rocket exhaust of the RCS quads on the side. So we got our point across. So it's all well, we had to do it with a painting, and not with all a... Done, all done from your memory. And not, and not, yeah, that's right, and not, and not from a camera, yeah. Why wow, that really is. Kind yeah. of interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And who has that original painting? Did he give it to Smithsonian. you? Smithsonian. In fact, it's one of their most valuable paintings there. Yeah, no, exactly. They don't have it on display. It is locked up. Right. Because they really value that painting. Yeah, that painting's probably worth a fortune now. Amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So in the news recently, there's been a lot of talk about Proxima B. Yeah, uh, Proxima Centauri. If you had the chance, would you, uh, would you go as an astronaut to uh, uh, inter an interstellar mission? Oh, interstellar mission. Oh, yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. That would be fun. Going to a satellite 
going to an asteroid, going to uh, a planet, uh, uh, going to a planet that revolves around a planet that's revolving around another planet, is a waste of time, in my opinion. We need to go somewhere else. We need to go out there where we can find a place where we can live on. Now, I know they talk about I.O. and places like that where there might be the possibility we could we could have life there. Uh, my opinion is it's not going to help us any. When we decide to leave Earth, we need to go somewhere else. Yeah. Not solar system because the reason the Earth would not be habitable anymore is because the sun had burned up all of its energy. And it's going to do that someday. We know that. Mm. And that means that all these other places we got in the solar system are not going to be good for us anyway. Mm. We've got to go somewhere else. Yeah, so that's kind of, yeah. Now, but we're talking 1,000 years, 5,000 years, 100,000 yeah. years. I don't know. I mean, one of the things that the British Interplanetary Society is famous for is the uh, Daedalus project, which was all about yeah. a manned mission to an interstellar right, mission. Right, so, right, right. Uh, which was something we talked about on the, on the last podcast. But uh, one of the things that came up was this, this thing of, of probes being sent out on lasers uh, mm-hmm. out, into, out, out to Proxima. Uh, is that something that, that, that ever sort of caught your imagination, or, or are you more about the kind of human exploration of space? Yeah, it's not. No, I don't. I don't want to say that I really get excited about human exploration. What I say is, I get excited about the possibility of finding a planet where we can go after we can't live here anymore. I mean, we we get all tied up in the in, in, in the vernacular of the things we're talking about. And we tend to say, okay, exploration. We, you hear people over and over say that the greatest thing about space program is the exploration. Well, they're talking about exploration just for the sake of exploration. And I, I think exploration has to have a purpose. Uh, Columbus came over here for a purpose. Uh, all, the, all the stuff we've done here on Earth basically has been for a purpose. You don't go somewhere just to go there. I mean, a lot of people have said, oh, it's really nice to explore the moon. We've been there. You know, we walked on it, blah, 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 blah. Well, I take the question, well, what did you find there that was any good for anybody? And the answer comes back, eh, no, nothing really. So the problem is that we tend to think that exploration is an issue on its own and that human beings are all about exploration, walking on a new planet, doing something new, all that kind of thing. And my re- response to that is, yes, we do that because... There's a genetic drive in us that says we got to do that to get where we need to go. So it's, a, it's our inbuilt survival mechanism that's sort of saying you've well, got to go Well, out. let me ask the question. You tell me any biological plant that lives here on Earth that does not have a survival ethic. Uh, Can you think of anything? No, no, I can't. No, no. I can't think of any living thing here on Earth that doesn't have a mechanism to promote the survival of its species. Okay, now, if you just take that one step further, what's different about people? So I say, yeah, we we love to talk about exploration, we love to talk about going to the moon, we love to talk about going to Mars and all that kind of stuff. One step out, a little bit further, but we've got to keep that going, we've got to go further and further and further uh, until we find a place that we can migrate to. That begs the question of how do we get here? Yeah. Did anybody think about that? Mm. Well, we were talking about uh, panspermia earlier yeah. on, about the yeah. where maybe life wasn't seeded on Earth, but seeded from somewhere else. You know, so it's well, it, there are, there, are, there are many books that are translations of the old Sumerian texts that will pretty well explain where we came from. But modern day astronomers 
uh, don't like that idea. Mm. In fact, I have accused many of them of being very close-minded about what's really going on out there. Yeah. I don't know, yeah. but I, I sure as hell got an open mind about what it is. Absolutely. Well, I think you find a lot of scientists are pretty close-minded about that kind of stuff because it violates their sense of what they know and and what they think happened. Because mm. I think you'll find a lot of scientists don't think that we've we've kind of evolved uh, along the way. Well, I think obviously we've evolved to some extent, but I think the original um, uh, identity mm. uh, is what's at issue. Where did that original identity come from? Mm. Yeah. So, we don't know. So, Al, when you first went up on Apollo 15, you must have obviously been very nervous, and you must—you weren't nervous at all. Wow. Okay. What's so to be were, nervous about? Were you not nervous that anything could go what, wrong? What, 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 would, what would cause you to be nervous? That's all I get. I would personally be worried about something going wrong on the rocket. Yeah. Okay. It was straight off. Go on. Keep going. That's pretty much it. I'd worried that it was going to hurt me. Blow up? It's going to hurt you? Yeah. Going to kill you? Absolutely. So, if you if you resolve that that's not going to bother you, then there's nothing to be worried about. That's right. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm now going to take that attitude. It doesn't matter. Yeah. No, don't don't take that attitude no, driving like the car it. down the road. I like that's it. Not yeah. Good. Yeah. No, that, that no, wouldn't no. help. <laughs> not in a suicidal kind of way, but yeah, that's very interesting. But my question was leading to when were you when were you first aware? Because obviously you had your job to do. You must have been concentrating, focusing on that. When were you first had that few minutes where you could just kind of go? I'm in space. This is insane. Can you recall? Actually, after I got back. Really? Mm-hmm. You think back about what you did, mm-hmm. and then you realize, yeah, I had a couple minutes here and a couple minutes there. I was there three days by myself. That was a good time. I enjoyed that. Appreciated it. And what was the first? But you don't think about it when you're there because yeah, you're too busy course. doing things. Yeah. Even on that. You're side. in. You're in real time up there. It's only in when when you when you recall all that yeah. that you begin doing these other things. Early. Right at the beginning of this conversation, you kind of struck upon the kind of spiritual aspect of being a human being and, mm-hmm. and what it means. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that, that a trip into space actually in, uh, heightened your awareness of that? Of no. That? Was, you, Why would it? Because you're able... Well, I mean, it's the story that you hear from astronauts a lot is that when they look down on the earth, they, they can see the earth as just the earth. And that, yeah. That, that, that whole quote. That's okay, but that's not we, spiritual. We went to the moon, but we That's really pretty discovered. factual. Yeah. Now, we have had some guys that have gone, that have gotten pretty spiritual as a result of their flights, and very frankly, I have a problem with that. Um, you see, if you've made a flight, particularly if you've made a flight to the moon, and you come back, and you want to start a new career, and let's say, what 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 careers would be open uh, where you could absolutely uh, identify everything you do as a result of a lunar flight? Would not Christianity or Christian fellowship be a good one? Who is going to argue with you about going to the moon uh, and getting this getting this spiritual feeling while you're on the moon? You come back. Uh, we've had two guys do that. We had another guy who went after psychic phenomena after his flight because, and as a matter of fact, what's funny about that is his flight, he did a psychic experiment, which turned out to be so negative, way below what they were expecting it to be, that they decided that there was something psychic going on because it made it so negative. Mm-hmm. Come on, what kind of what kind of logic is that? Yeah, that but this is the kind of thing we run into. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So we're being told that we've got one more question left, and I right. was dying to ask you, what was the food that you craved to go back and eat? After was, I get back? Yeah, what was the meal you were like, oh, I'm definitely going to... Tim Peake said he wanted pizza and a beer. Was there a meal that you were like, I can't wait to eat that again? I would say it would be... Vodka and spaghetti. (laughs) (laughs) No beer. No beer. All right. Okay. Thank you so much. Good to talk to you. Great to talk to you. Good to talk to you. I'm here with Vic Southgate, who's going to promote the World Space Week. Yep. World Space Week happens every year between the 4th and 10th of October. And um, this year we're having a launch event at Alton Towers to help with their um, Galactica ride, which is a virtual reality ride. So anybody who comes along to the launch event on the evening of the 3rd of October will get to have a free ride on that. Um, Al Warden, Apollo 15 astronaut, as well as Dallas Campbell will be there to launch the event. And anybody who is doing anything spacey during the 4th to the 10th of October can register it on www.worldspaceweek.org. Sorry about the noise today in this podcast but like we said we're broadcasting from new scientists live at the excel it's very exciting so uh please forgive the odd chair pull well hope hopefully it'll ding add, dong. To, add to the ambiance changlong 2 here we go we mentioned last yes changlong 2 was launched uh right at the, uh, only a couple of days ago last how's Thursday. it getting on so that that that's brilliant so yeah. that launched on the long march 2f and they hope to have that all manned as a proper space station by 2022. Nice. So that looks like it's all going on. Tiangong standing for, do you know what that, that is in Chinese? No. Heavenly Palace. Oh, that's, that's lovely. Well, whereas the other Heavenly Palace, Tiangong 1, nice. or Tiangong On, is... Uh, oh, it, man. No, it's right, it's right. Tiangong On is, uh, is falling to Earth. Yes. It's falling to Earth, and it's now... It's been one of the worst kept secrets. We did mention this last time. Amateur uh, satellite trackers have been tracking the, this, and so look, look, this is—it's going down. Now, one of its representatives has been quoted as saying that, you know, most of it will burn up in the Earth's atmosphere. Hopefully. However, <laughs> yeah, what if it doesn't? Has yeah. anyone got a plan? Mm. How can you predict where those things are going to fall and when? Oof. A quick one. A quick one about some of the launches. So, uh, Ariane Space. Uh, launched a Vega, Vega. Rocket, which we Vega. which I don't think we've had since we've started the podcast. I don't think we've had no. a Vega, have we? Uh, and that launched a sort of a five satellites in a very complicated mission, which has been seen, been seen as just how versatile the Vega rocket is. So that was quite interesting. Yeah, uh, Israel launched an Ofek spy satellite on on its launch vehicle called the Shavit, and again, I don't think that's um, been launched since we've been doing podcasts. No. Uh, but I think that there's been some malfunctions with the satellite. I think the launch is okay, but I don't think the satellite has, ah. has uh, deployed properly. So that's a bit disappointing. Yeah. Uh, and the Russians have scrubbed the MS-02. When you say scrubs, do you mean replaced or no, cleaned? No, no, no. <laughs> they've, they've, uh, they've, it was supposed to launch on the 23rd of September. Yeah. But for an unknown technical reason, I think it's some form of electrical fault... Uh, it looks like they're going to have to push that back. It could be as far back as November the 1st. Well, I, for one, am not waiting. I'm going to write a stern letter. And say, can you just hurry up and get Please those? move on. Uh, and uh, Elon Musk has been, uh, as, well, you know, as well as dealing with his uh, blown-up <laughs> blown yeah. spaceship, he's been coming out with some pretty crazy sentences. One of them being he wants to launch 4,000 wipe 
Wi-Fi satellites into space. In a bid to bring total world Wi-Fi coverage. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty unbelievable. That does sound like a Bond villain. And he's also been bragging about his uh, his his Mars colonial transport. Of course he has. Uh, which he says will go well, well beyond Mars. So yeah, uh, Mars is so old hat. We'll be hearing much more about that uh, because he's going to be talking about his the thing that he's been promising to talk about on September the 27th and it will be broadcast live as a webcast. So I'm definitely... We need to watch that. I mean, if we are all living in a simulation, which Musk thinks is is absolutely possible yeah. then uh, you know let's definitely see what he's up to next yeah so I mentioned Jeff Jeff Williams Alexei Ovchinin and Oleg Skipocha all, uh, well, all the uh, the astronauts have come down and haven't been replaced now uh, and Ovchinin had asked for a watermelon there's a brilliant picture of him holding a watermelon, oh, he in, got his in, watermelon. In, in, in his deck chair sort of grinning but it's like it's one of those annoying things, isn't it? A watermelon. Unless someone gives you a sharp knife and a nice table. Yeah, it's like, what am I supposed to do with this? Oh, thanks. I've just got to hold this watermelon and grin. Yeah. Quite funny, though. <laughs> Give me a slice, please. Uh, and I've got to mention uh, the Interplanetary Podcast favourite frontman. Here we go. <laughs> Freddie Mercury. Yes. Had an astronaut. Astronaut. Had an ast- no, he didn't have an astronaut named after him. He had an asteroid named after him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the Freddie Mer- yeah, the, I would Tim love Peak that. is changing his name yeah. to Freddie Mercury. Oh, this is awkward. <laughs> yeah. So, no, Freddie has an, a, an asteroid named after him. Uh, and I think it's a present from Brian May for That's his 70th birthday. Lo- good work, Brian. So, he's a shooting star. A wise man once said that all humanity is a form of play. And the highest form of play is the search for truth, beauty and love. What more is needed? Should there be a meaning as well, that will be a bonus. If we waste time looking for life's meaning, we may have no time to live or to play. And I think that's a brilliant answer to what's the meaning of life. What's the meaning... That's Arthur lovely. RC Clark, legend. Oh, we got, I've got to thank Vic Southgate. Absolutely, who basically a legend. Vic Southgate. And, uh, she made our wonderful interview with the legendary Al Worden possible. BIS. And everyone at the Brit, BIS will be supporting us. Thank you very much. Please go, and, uh, go to their website, sign up, and you'll hear more from us in a less noisy podcast next, next, next month. Cheers. Cheers.